Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, a member of the World Business Academy's Board of Directors, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We're recording this show on April 11th, 2018. Uh, it feels like we say this at the beginning of every show, but this is a particularly risky moment in the global economy and global politics with some serious swings in the market and recently loose talk of military conflict. We're going to run through some of the biggest issues and end with some thoughts on doing your best to protect yourself. Uh, Ronaldo, I think that the biggest topic on uh, on people's minds who listen to this show are the recent major swings in ping-ponging in the markets. Do you want to start there? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks very much, Matt, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, you know, we, we, we started sending out this alarm in November last year in a serious way, and we said, look, if you want to save yourself a tremendous amount of stress, if you want to be able to go to sleep at night and not worry about your savings, get out of the market. Uh, it's going to go through such a period of volatility. And when that, when that volatility is over, it's not going to end up, it's going to end up down. And that volatility, which claims more victims every day, because on a great day, you're happy on a bad day, you're feeling dejected. The truth is you don't belong in this market. No, no, nobody does this. This market is not behaving in a way that can create value accretion. Why is that? Well, because the market now knows that it's it's certainly priced way too high, and it's known that for a while, and it thought it would get away with it because of the tax bill that was pushed through, which was going to benefit business. And and by the way, carried some incredibly crazy statements about how much the economy was going to grow, three point three percent a year for ten years, and all that sort of nonsense. And so, you know, people wanted to believe it, uh, particularly the people who were the winners, the top one two percent, who really made off like bandits in the tax bill. And particularly the people in large corporations, multinationals, they made out extremely well. Corporate tax rates generally extremely well. But all the little people really got hurt. And I think the little people are starting to figure that out. And the economy is made up of basically 5 to 10% of the people at the top of which 1% to 2% by far control the vast amount of assets. And then below that top 10%, you got another mm, probably 40% of what I'd call solid upper middle class and middle class. And then you get into like marginal middle class. And then you get down to the bottom third of this country. And it's really, it's really a problem. They're living paycheck to paycheck or worse. Uh, I was reading an article just uh, two days ago on the eviction rates in cities all over America are uh, alarmingly high. Because people who get tripped up with because of a medical issue or some one-time event happens or they lose their job, they got to find another job, they miss a month uh, rent, then uh, they by the time they try to catch up, they've got a penalty, then they have another month, and then they get evicted, and then they can't get get housing, and 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 if, if, the, the the example that was given that's unbelievably horrific is going on in uh, Virginia actually Richmond, uh, and, and it's worse than Detroit right now. So the, the, these, this living with people on the edge and having the what I call the kleptocracy of the current administration, the, the, the rampant stealing of money from the rest of us, is causing the pressure to increase on the middle class. So even though Trump, for example, ran on, we're going to bring coal mining back, 
he didn't bring coal mining back. Fewer coal mining jobs today than there were a year ago. And that's inevitable. There's nothing he can do to bring coal mining back. And if were he to do so, it would be crazy. Conversely, there's more than 10 times as many people, it's probably about 20 times as many people in the solar industry as there is in the coal mining industry. And yet he tried to hurt that industry with a tariff. Now, that tariff did not collapse the solar industry. The net effect, by the way, folks, of that tariff is only about 6%. But it did increase solar by 6%. Who pays for that? Everybody like you and me who buys solar for our rooftops on our houses or our buildings. And we're not going to stop buying because it's still less expensive and more reliable than the grid. But it costs us an extra 6%. Um, I gave an analogy to, to, uh, to, to, to Matt earlier about a swimmer going through the water, you know, uh, an Olympic athlete. And it cuts a very, very precise um, track through the water and tries to create a very um, shape that, does, that gives the least amount of resistance to the water as the, as the swimmer is paddling through. And so how their body floats in the water is key to their success as a swimmer. Now, if you take and drop a simple quarter on the back of one of those swimmers, you probably will not affect them in their time because it won't be enough weight to disrupt the, the track through the water that they're setting. But if you drop uh, half a pound on that swimmer's back, it's going to change the shape of the water flowing around that swimmer's body as the swimmer sinks a little deeper in the water and will dramatically cut their time. And if you put a pound on their back, they're out of the race. So what's happening with this kleptocracy under the belief it doesn't matter what we steal. So we'll let's just, you know, have fun and have a party. Lots of different industries have tried to grab a piece of additional action for themselves without thinking through the implications that they're dropping weight on the swimmer's back. The swimmer is the economy. And the back, if you will, is each of us who are not in the top 1%. So when you look at the, and, and we'll touch on oil a little bit later in this program because that's a good example of where a very small group of people have been benefited by the rest of us to an enormous extent. But if you look at, you know, the price of aluminum and steel went up. Trump made this crazy announcement. Within four or five days, he basically exempted Mexico, well, all of Latin America virtually, Europe, and Korea, and Canada, which together, we import probably 55% of our steel and aluminum from just those places. So 45% were affected, 55% wasn't. However, aluminum prices went up a dramatic amount, and so did rolled steel, and they've stayed up. So we, the people who use aluminum in our products, whether it's a can of soda or whether it's in a car, we're paying more for that kleptocratic move, which enriched the steel and the aluminum industry, but hurt every single customer in the United States of the steel and aluminum industry. So it wasn't even a good trade because way more people use steel in various industries and aluminum than work in the steel and aluminum industry itself. So that's like putting some quarters on the back of the swimmer. I mean, I'll just do the oil thing now. Well, should I skip ahead to that or not? What do you let, think? Let me, let, me, let me ask a, a different question, just a framing question here, because it came up to yeah. me as you were talking about the kind of stratification of the, of the U.S. Uh, domestic um, wealth, right? So yeah. this, this major difference between the kind of top 10% of the country that's doing well and continues to and the rest, which is increasingly under pressure and more people falling lower and lower on that, on that ladder. You know, I think Ronaldo, that, that really reminds me of something that 
is 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 coming more and more into focus in the last 10 years which is a a, re, a return to class consciousness and, and an understanding of what we're actually up against here you know there there had been a kind of a bargain uh, in the United States and this the creation of this thing called the middle class where the the wealthy and the kind of elites understood that they needed uh, a middle class that was you know th- that actually made the country stronger right that they created a market for their products and that it was better to not have rebellions on their hands and it was you know they needed they needed to take care of the people that went and fought and died for them uh, in World War II so since World War II there's this agreement essentially to try and raise all boats, maybe not equally, and you know this is this is fraught with a lot of uh, oversimplification, but that this this was the pattern. I think what we're seeing now is a real destruction of that agreement, and it's it's becoming blatant as opposed to a kind of sneaky uh, veil, you know, couched in some sort of fairness or, or economic theory. This is just pure kleptocracy and power politics. Uh, it's much more like an authoritarian regime than, you know, in the early days uh, th- than we'd like to imagine the United States ever being. It, it, are you seeing what I'm talking about? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, you know, it's it's the famous line from Marie, Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. So when you're sitting in the Palace of Versailles and the peasants are banging on the gates because they don't have enough bread, your attitude is, hey, I'm fine in here. Let them eat cake. I got silk gowns and jewels and, and that's it. I got mine. Too bad for you people. And of course, as we know, that refrain, let them eat cake, has now gone down in history as one of the dumbest things you could possibly say if you're in the top 1%, which clearly Marie Antoinette was. As, as I recall, she lost her head over that line. <laughs> so my point of this is we were talking about ping-ponging markets, and you're talking about the stratification of, um, of, of wealth. I was segueing from why people should not be in the markets, in their, and, and I hope I explained well enough why the markets are ping pong. In other words, number one, they are, they are, they're overbought this time. They're overpriced. There's fragility there. So anything can throw them off. And then once they get thrown off, if they see any hope, if the markets see hope of somehow they can come back, I'll give you some examples in a second. Then they go, okay, it's safe to own stocks again. But this volatility is not going to end in a happy way. In other words, this won't end with the market being up 20, 30% in the next year. It's going to end up with the market at 20 to 30 percent below where it was a year ago. So the trend line is inescapable. And being out of the markets, you avoid the trauma, the, the, the craziness of being locked in a system where one day you're getting, you know, what did we close? 128 points negative today. We were up, we were up 400 points yesterday. We were down 400 some odd points the day before. I mean, it, the, the, the volatility of this market, which even the conventional people are talking about, right. is crazy. Right. So that volatility is based on kleptocracy. That's what I was trying to make the point. Right. It's, it's okay. And what, why that's got to come to an end is because you can only steal so much for so long, and then, like Marie Antoinette, you lose your head. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And 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 to, we've said before on this show, the, this economy, the, the strongest economy the world ever produced, which by the way is no longer the strongest economy. The German economy is much stronger than the American economy right now, um, and I would say the Chinese economy is stronger than the American economy. So we are not the strongest economy in the world anymore, and we're not the best educated. We were for a long. We invented high school education on a universal basis back in the 1800s. We're probably 27th or 28th in the world now in educational standards. So we're not the best at anything anymore. We're not even the best military anymore. We got one of the biggest ones, the biggest one, but it doesn't mean that we're able to get what we want through force of arms. And there are endless examples 
all over the Middle East alone that will point to that, right? I mean, we're talking Afghanistan, we're talking Syria, we're talking Iraq, you're talking Yemen, you, you know, well, it goes and, on and on. And, and, you know, if you call it the Defense Department, it's failed to defend us on a, on multiple fronts from uh, sneakier, more nimble military, uh, kind of 21st century military incursions. Yeah, it's 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 worth noting that the Russian government, and particularly uh, his the, the head of their chief of staff, said two years ago that the military battlefield had switched to asymmetrical warfare, basically fought through social media. And that's exactly what they've been doing. They've destabilized governments all over the planet, not just ours, uh, which is why you see a retreat from what people used to call liberal democracy from democratic institutions in the countries that we're familiar with, and increasingly they're becoming more and more autocratic. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself on, on the analysis. So we started with what the markets are ping-ponging. I've tried to explain that the reason they're ping-ponging is because they're overbought in the first place. So anything that th threatens to, to, to bring that reality to the, to, to the light is going to cause the market to crash because it's unsustainable at these levels. So it gets a disproportionate downdraft. And anything that looks like that pain might go away causes it to rise disproportionately just because people go, okay, we didn't, get, we didn't hit the bullet didn't hit us this time. Right. Let me give you a specific example. And then we'll go from that ping ponging to what you were talking about, which is stratification of society. So we, we thought that when, um, China, when, 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 um, uh, when, when I guess Trump announced his first embargo, well, his uh, tariffs on, on, on steel and, and aluminum, markets crashed. Then they came back after he created exceptions for 55% of all the market, all out there. But you know what they didn't get back is all the money extra we're going to pay, as I said earlier, for every piece of aluminum and every piece of steel we use in America for other products. That we don't get back. Well, who gets that? Of course, the guys who make steel and aluminum. That's who gets it. We're going to talk in, in, in a while on this show about how the oil markets have been dramatically adversely hitting the public in America for reasons that we completely could control. We could literally be having, we could be enjoying right now oil at $15 a barrel less if we chose, but we haven't chosen. And so those oil oligarchs have been racking up profits at astronomical rates. Who's paying? We are. So where does this cross over to the stratification of society? It crosses over if you think you're one of the oligarchs who gets the benefit of being part of the kleptocracy, you're okay with it because you don't think it's going to come to an end. No one on Wall Street thought the market was going to crash in 2007, 2008. They didn't see it coming, and yet they had all the same data I had. And I saw it coming. And other people, Paul Krugman saw it coming. Joseph Stiglitz saw it coming. But we were a very small minority. And, 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 and why Wall Street didn't see that is because Wall Street was blinded by greed, pure and simple. What these ping-ponging markets are about is what happens when greedy people are allowed to continue to play in the public markets without any adequate regulation, and therefore they're able to cause the market to jump up and down based on their own fears and hopes. And the society we talked about that stratified, the little people, all the rest of us, we're getting hurt in the crosshairs. We're paying just like the peasants always do when the nobleman wants to live more richly on the hill. When, 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 when Marie Antoinette wanted another gown, it came out of the French peasants' bread allowance. Now, that's, it's not literally true, obviously, because they're too disconnected. But my point is that when you take for the rich at the top, it's got to come from somebody. And where it comes from in this country increasingly is the stratified middle class and below, upper middle class and down.
Now, we have beat the heck out of our education system to a point where it's a bloody mess. And what does that do? Well, it further stratifies because the evidence is overwhelming that if you are well off and you can afford to give your kids the benefit of of tutors and well off uh, good school systems and private schools, your kids are going to do fine. Your next generation is secure. And if you can't afford that, if you've got to re- you've got to fall back on public schools, you're you're in deep deep trouble. Uh, you know, I, 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 let me just segue here for a second about some of these stratification costs. For ten years, the teachers in West Virginia had no salary increase. That's insane. There was inflation in those ten years. The cost of other things went up, and not only did they not get an increase, their classrooms didn't. So you had a situation in West Virginia where the school buildings weren't fit for students, where you could literally see camera shots of, of, of desks that were so broken it was hard to see how kids even sat in them. And, and, the, and the legislature said, well, we're too busy giving tax breaks to the wealthy. We can't afford education in West Virginia. So it just piped down and sent out. And they struck. The teachers struck in West Virginia. And after nine days, they won. And the teachers then in Oklahoma struck. And I think they're going to win. And the teachers have been striking. Well, there's one other state. Um, is it Kansas? Kansas. Thank you. Kansas, which is, of course, the, 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 the crown prince of stupidity. I mean, the, what they did in Kansas to destroy a good economy is like it, it's the quintessential example of what greed does. They dropped all their taxes for the rich and they ended up taking the entire state down with them. Now, trickle down economics never did work. It didn't work when Laffler first proposed it for Reagan. It doesn't work today. Who gets hurt? The people that you're hoping it will trickle down to. It's not called trickle up. It should trickle up is what we need. Build up the middle class and and everybody benefits, including the upper classes and including the people below middle class because there'll be more surplus in the economy to take care of them. So these teacher strikes are the beginning of labor unrest at precisely the time when we're running massive deficits. We've absolutely destroyed our tax base federally and in most states with the one exception California has not California's tax base is in good shape right now although I think there's some jeopardy coming due to the fact that the state and local taxes are no longer deductible on the federal level so I won't go into that although anytime I touch by a point like this folks and you want to ask more just call us or send us an email and we'll amplify what that comment meant but to stay on the on the point in front of us the stratified society which is being victimized by ping-ponging markets a, get out of the market if you haven't already. Take my advice. You'd have been a lot happier the last couple of months, three, four months if you hadn't been in it. And you wouldn't have lost any money. In fact, if you'd gotten into gold when we did in last October, November, you'd have been making money. And you'd have gone to sleep every night knowing that gold's going to keep going up, which it will. Gold's going to keep going up. Uh, it's not too late to get into gold. But the 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 ping-ponging is, is just it, – it, you can't live with that much emotional volatility where your nest egg is involved. That's why I urge small investors to get clear of the market. If you're big and you're sophisticated, okay, that's a separate conversation. Call the Academy. We'll be happy to give you uh, an analysis of your particular portfolio or what you can do. But for the average person who's got their savings and it's small, basically locked up in the market, it's a rough ride every night and it won't end well. I'm not, notice I'm not saying it may not end well. I'm telling you it absolutely, without a doubt, will not end well. So you don't want to be in that market. And at the same time, as a as, as, as part of the, the, the group stratified society getting, getting pressed, getting squeezed, you need to start paying attention to what's really hurting you. 
So I'm as interested as the next guy uh, to hear the story of Stormy Daniels and why the president is paying a porn star two weeks before the election for silence and who knows who paid or how many other people. And I'm I'm as interested as, you know, why his personal lawyer has been swept up in an FBI, uh, very dramatic FBI search, by the way, a very dramatic FBI search of his office, his home and his hotel room. Okay, But at the end of the day, that's just that's for that's for political consumption. It's important for us to note. It's important that we have a, a more activated citizenry, clearly. And I think that's coming. But the real stories are the ones you're not paying attention to because the front pages are full of so much salacious material. Now, the real stories are about things like when 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 the president says he's going to put a tariff on steel and, and aluminum and then in effect backs off by creating all these exemptions. The residual he left is the steel and aluminum guys made a lot of money and they're going to keep making money until somebody reverses that and you're paying for it. That's really what happened. OK, um, when the president says he's going to have a trade war with China, the markets collapse. China basically says you do that we will hurt you worse. It gets even worse on the markets. Then Larry Kudlow in between says, oh, don't worry, we're just negotiating. Eh, the president doesn't really mean it. We're not going to have a trade war with China, which we're not, by the way. But he gets on television and says that, and the markets go, oh, thank God. As crazy as we know Trump is, he's not crazy enough to start a trade war with China. So, okay, we can run the markets back up because trade war with China is not going to happen. Then Trump comes out literally the next day and says, well, I'm serious. I'm really thinking of another $150 billion of, of tariffs on China. Market goes crazy because they go, oh my God, if he does that, does he have any idea what he's what he just said? He probably doesn't, by the way. And so they think, oh my goodness, this is going to be all we can't survive that kind of an attack. And so the market sells off. And then Xi, the Premier Xi of China, gives a speech two days ago, in which, by the way, is almost identical to the speech he gave in January in Davos. So he didn't change the speech. He gave no concessions at all. He just said, you know, we don't really want to trade war either. I'm sure we'll work this out. And just that little bit of consolation was enough to keep the markets going forward when, in fact, they should have asked themselves, you know, if we're so fragile that we could jump 460 points or drop 500 points on a day, not to mention the internal volatility within the day, that means we're too fragile to really be playing this game and we should get more stable. It should be harder to move the markets by 150 points or 120 points or 400 points. It should be much harder. We shouldn't be that fragile that something could push it that far up and push it that far down and push it back that far up again. And that volatility is the best sign in the world that you are being suckered into believing you're better off with your money in the market than your money on the sidelines and you're not. So anybody who says, don't worry, over the long haul, the markets always perform, leave your money in the markets, you know, that's like looking, it's like driving a car 100 miles an hour down a freeway and looking in a rearview mirror. Sorry, what's behind you isn't what's in front of you. You get to the first bend in the road, you're going off, the, you're going off a cliff. So where we are today is we've got to recognize the real stories that count. And we'll be talking about some of them on this, on this show today. Have to be ones that you pay attention to. And yes, we have to get control of our politics. As we said on the last show, and I think now more people are beginning to understand it, you can't have an economy running smoothly if the political situation in the society that the economy embraces is a mess. These, these op, the society and the economy do not operate in a vacuum. They are extremely symbiotic, which means that when there's a screw up or a mess in one, there's going to be a screw up or mess in the other and vice versa. Economy keeps going. The economy starts going sideways and down, which it's in the process of doing. 
it's going to hurt the political situation unbelievably and cause chaos. If uh, the, we continue to have chaos in the political situation, it's one of the reasons why the economy is going to do poor in the future. So I want to just focus on these things because the people in the middle that are getting squeezed by the stratified society, they need to start voting their own best interest, which is to see that more of the pie comes to them so they can spend more and the kleptocrats can steal less. And as they spend more, the consumer spending society that we are rises. The tide comes in and rises all ships. And you only get there when people start playing by the rules. When you gut the uh, Consumer Financial Board, when you the, the one that Elizabeth Warren set up to protect us, and which has already been extremely successful in getting companies to behave with um, unbelievably bad practices where the public was getting stolen from, literally. And, and when, when, when that bureau was basically castrated uh, when Trump came in, the implications of that to the average person are enormous. Because it affects every loan you take out for a car. It affects your student loans. It affects everything. It affects all your credit cards. So you're paying more now because the kleptocrats have decided they want to keep more of your money and have you have less freedom to be able to move it around. That doesn't work in the long term. And what it's showing up is it's starting to not work in the short term. Now, the unemployment number we got in March was almost half, not half, but about 40% plus below what it was the month earlier. Some people are saying, oh, it's just an anomaly. We've had great employment months you know, since Obama turned the economy around, so that'll keep up. No reason for it to continue to go sideways or down. Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. And whereas I don't think it'll be as low as 200,000, which is what it was in March, in April, I don't think it's going to be 300,000 net new jobs created. And so you're looking at an economy where there are pressures from wages. Those are the teachers. Those are some of the people who've gotten into politics saying enough is enough. It would be Randy Statch, who is running against Paul Ryan, although Paul Ryan this morning announced he's not going to run for re-election, which is amazing. Um, so you've got these, 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 these battles coming over why wages haven't kept up with spending, over why the pot's gotten smaller for the average person and bigger for the people at the top. All of those things are creating costs to the economy which are going to be paid for you and me, the little people, because they want top 1%, even though they'll be adversely affected, it won't affect their lifestyle. Well, that, that's a lot to chew on, and although I think it's a, a lot of good points, too. It's it's really interesting here. You know, we, we, we've touched on a lot of what we want to talk about. I, I want to think about where we want to go next year. I, you know, the, the silver lining that I'm seeing, and, and you know, I, I wasn't feeling really positive uh ahead of this show because of some of the looming threats of war and whatnot, which we can touch on uh, when we talk about oil. But the the teacher strikes are really encouraging because these are unsanctioned kind of wildcat strikes that are old school uh, union organizing, which is essentially mobilization of teachers and and not through their normal kind of traditional, some would say, uh, frequently compromised channels of the union uh, bureaucracy. Uh, These are being organized democratically and by social media which is pretty exciting uh, the the other the other state to add there i think was kentucky i think kansas is considering it uh, some of the teachers there are talking about it but kentucky was the other one that's actually taken action mm-hmm. and then there's also new jersey which is potentially uh, or has taken action i have to look that one up so this thing's catching on and, and, you know one of the things about political corruption and you just touched on it with the the announcement by speaker uh, paul ryan that he's not not only not going to uh 
he's going to he's going to step down, but he's going to quit before he loses his election. I mean, th- th- there was speculation that he would run again, win and then step step aside. Right. So in order to preserve the seat. But he, I think that he, along with a lot of these uh, House members, are actually seeing writing on the wall that this is going to be a really bad blowout for them. So what, what do you think the response is that's coming? What do you think the swing back is? Just like the stock market goes up and down, the political winds go up and down, and people do start voting once they see through the, the mirage. Yeah, I think, first of all, um, you gave the example of teachers is a very healthy thing. I'd say the healthiest thing that's happened in, in, in years is what happened with the Parkland students. The fact that they have taken the NRA head on when the, the Democratic politicians in this country should be ashamed of themselves. And I've told a few Congress people that to their face because be, because the Parkland kids were not afraid of getting elected to office. They told the truth. They spoke truth to power and they organized and they have turned the entire gun debate around. Finally, OK, that took courage in one sense. But in another sense, it's what any intelligent person would do who realizes that if you're going to go to school, you might get shot. I mean, I thought they articulated that quite well. We shouldn't have to be worried that when we go to school, we'll end up dying. That's not what school is supposed to be about. And arming teachers is crazy. And and, and so if you look at, for example, I was talking about how if you look at where, watch the money. Remember that old line from Watergate, watch the money, try follow the money? Follow the money, yeah. Okay, so we've warned people on the show about the tax bill. We said it was horrific that it's going to have absolutely massively negative effects for the economy. I don't know if people believe me when I said that a few months back. Well, here we're now looking at it. Uh, I'm looking at an article yesterday's New York Times. The federal deficit is projected to top $1 trillion in 2020 when the economy is still growing. And what's interesting about that, they're saying that the national debt under certain assumptions, which are unrealistically unrealistically, uh, positive, I mean, they're assuming uh, annual growth rates of the economy of 3.3% over the next 10 years. Ain't no way it's going to happen. Well, 3.3%, uh, 3% over 3% a year. Let's put it that way because it, it changes by year. Okay, that's not going to happen. But even if that did happen, we would go from $21 trillion to $33 trillion by 2028. That's only 10 years. And what's interesting is that would, within less than 10 years, by the way, won't, it'll take less than 10 years. By the time we hit that number of $33 trillion, we'll be sitting at about 96 to 80, 99% of the total debt we have. So if you take not just the deficit in a given year of a trillion here, a trillion there, but you take the accumulated deficit, what we're going to see is a debt. I predict they're saying by 2028 in the New York Times, I say it's going to be by 2022 to 2023, a debt that's as high as it was coming out of World War II, meaning the debt to GDP. It's going to be higher. So we paid a war to fight Hitler and won, and we were in a lot of debt. But over the time, from 46, 1946 to 1980, 19, to 2017, we, well, 2016 really, we grew our way out of that debt to the point where the economy grew faster than the debt, so the debt became a smaller and smaller percentage of gross national product. And we're now back to where we were in 1946, except we didn't spend the money fighting Hitler. We spent the money giving it to oligarchs, to the top 1%. That's what's so frustrating. And those deficits are going to cause interest rates to continue to rise. There's going to continue to be wage price, uh, wage inflation, meaning wage push. 
So you're going to see an, an economy which is le- less able to pay for its own debt, which means interest rates will keep going up, which makes the debt even higher because you've got to pay for the interest rate. Well, when you take all that into account, it, it seems to me that it's inescapable that we are going into a period of bad economic activity. By the second half of this year, certainly by the fourth quarter of this year, I don't think anybody's going to challenge me when I say, you know what, the economy is not doing well, and it looks like there's more energy going down than going up, even sideways at that point. People are going to agree with me. It's going to be that commonly understood. It, and, it's, it, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's, we did it to ourselves. We shot ourselves in the foot repeatedly out of greed. And the little people, the people below that top 10%, they don't have any choice. They're the victims of this. Let me let me swing over, Matt, to, to this oil story. Yeah. I really want people to understand this. For years and years, decades, there were two prices for oil in the world. There was what was called the Brent price, which was the international oil market is set by Brent crude in the North Sea. And there was West Texas Intermediate, which is what we in America paid for our oil. And for decades, the, the spread, I mean, the difference between those two numbers, because the world oil prices were higher than what we paid in the United States. We had an advantage of around eh, anywhere from $15 a barrel or more, certainly never less than 10. Okay, so we always had a lower price for our oil. Now think of it, oil goes into everything. It goes into our gas tanks, it goes into our factories, it goes into our plastics, it goes everywhere. So when the price of oil goes up, we pay. Well, the Trump administration did something this year which has hurt all of us. It made it legal to sell oil offshore, our refined oil, which took us out of being a domestic market, West Texas Intermediate, and it put us in the global market, Brent, because now our oil is being sold to the highest bidder like everybody else, and we have to join the bidding process to get that oil for ourselves if we want. Price of oil has gone up so much that the difference between Brent and West Texas is like $4 a barrel. Practically 67 in West Texas and 71 at Brent. It's gone. We, our, our, our competitive advantage disappeared. And we in the economy, we consumers, we're paying every penny of that. Who got rich? A few oil companies. Who are backers of the current administration? A few oil companies, among others. So the greed to get even more profit out of our hides, out of the cars we drive, the plastics we buy, the, um, the heating oil we need, those prices are getting pushed back on us. And like the swimmer I talked about earlier in the show, that adds more weight to the swimmer's back. And the swimmer's body goes deeper into the water and it completely destroys the swimmer's ability to win the prize. So this, these things are, you got to look at these things together. You got to look at ping-ponging markets. You got to look at, follow the money, who's, who's winning, who's losing. How are the very rich oligarchs extracting more from the economy and there is no free lunch so if they're extracting more somebody's got to pay more that's us when you look at these all together and you look at the uh, unrealistic growth expectations that were used to peddle a tax bill that was fraught, was so flawed it was practically criminal and you see now the implications of what it's doing to the deficits and the price of money interest rates going up you say to yourself if we don't wake up as a society and get our political act together start voting our true self-interest we're going to end up paupers. We're going to end up in a recession very soon, meaning by the fourth quarter, you're going to, everybody's going to know it's on the way, if not already there. And you're going to have a, a heck of a time digging out of it because then you'll have less money to pay for the deficit 
which will cause interest rates to rise higher, which will cause the deficit to go higher. And you're looking at a situation where we're going to probably end up with stagflation, meaning stagnant growth and inflationary monetary policy. It's it's an inflationary cost of money. So it's really a crazy, crazy, crazy situation, and we're doing it to ourselves. Now, can we fix it? Yes. Can we fix it quickly? No. And by the way, the reason that China and the U.S. are not going to have a trade war is because everybody's smart, and I'm not including the White House in this calculation, everybody smart knows the Chinese don't have to put tariffs on our products to cripple our nation. All they have to do is stop buying our debt, because that's the principal buyer of our debt. And although there is a belief that the American public will start buying the debt if the Chinese don't, <clears throat> I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that. I wouldn't put a whole lot of faith in that. I think the American public is going to be so tapped out when it gets to that point. It'll be very hard for it to be the, be the purchaser of last resort, quick, particularly quick. when the dollar has dropped off as being the reserve currency. Ronald, two, two things to add here. So one clarification is you've been using the term oligarchs, and that's something that's been popping up on the news a lot, specifically referring to the extremely wealthy billionaires in Russia who essentially are the single source captains of industry appointed by the government that work in a kind of kleptocratic way with the Putin regime. Uh, so kind of like akin to mafia captains and he's the boss. I don't, I don't I want to separate that concept from the oligarchs that you're talking about, which is more just the uh, extremely well off top 0.1% uh, between one and 0.1% I'd say of the u.s uh, economy or the is that how you're defining it what what is no actually what I, I was trying i was intentionally trying to do was to tap a reservoir in the public consciousness see we know what the oligarchs in russia are they're people picked by putin who agree to give half their action back to him and do whatever he says including kill people when he tells them to uh and they do that in return for which they get to be multi-billionaires and they get to be the beneficiaries of this closed society remember russia has an economy matt it's only about the size of California or less. Yeah. Or less actually. So it, it's, it's, it's not that big and you got a handful of people on top and everybody else is doing very poorly. Right. So I, what I was trying to do is analogize because see, I think that Trump sees himself as an oligarch. Yeah. He, he, he's more comfortable with other oligarchs from Russia candidly than he is with parliamentarians and dem Democrats. And I don't mean Democrats like in Democrat Republic. I mean, Democrats like people who believe in democracy. So, and what he's done, I mean, look at this whole situation with Carl Icahn. My God, he brings Carl Icahn into his office. I mean, Carl Icahn, who selected Scott Pruitt to be the head of the EPA, you know that, right? Carl Icahn selected him. Yeah. Sends, sends Pruitt to Morocco to pitch <laughs> one company in America as the source of liquefied natural gas to Morocco, which happens to be the company that he owns. Now, Scott Pruitt's EPA has no jurisdiction over natural gas whatsoever, liquefied or otherwise. It had nothing to do with his position as EPA. But what what uh, what the oligarch in this case knew was he knew that if he sent Scott Pruitt, he'd get to the right level of the government of Morocco to pitch for Carl Icahn the deal Carl Icahn wanted. And by the way, the price of that oil company did go up with that visit. Now, that's what I mean by an oligarch. I would say that Carl Icahn is a quintessential oligarch. I would say Donald Trump is a quintessential oligarch. I mean, the only difference between Icahn and Trump is that Icahn is far smarter and, frankly, probably a little more ruthless. But, you know, Trump doesn't make money. 
When, when he runs out of money, he goes. To, he's been doing this for a decade. He goes to the Russians. He's been money laundering. You all know that. And and what he's been doing is bringing that money back to restart each time after he goes bankrupt. How do you think a guy goes bankrupt six times and keeps coming back? He's got to go to some pot of money that isn't even legal. In this case, money laundering. And we have more than enough evidence he's been doing it. And 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 we and and and, and is there anybody in this country, whether they're a Trump supporter or not, that doesn't think he and his family are enriching themselves at the public's interest? But did you know they specifically exempted Ivana Trump's line of clothing from China when they put when they discussed the tariffs? I- Ivanka Trump. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Ivanka. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. So, so his family is enriched. I mean, why do you think Jared's sister was over pitching partnerships to the Chinese um, when they couldn't get the financing for six 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 Madison Avenue done, which they can't do? Uh, Jared went to. There's a there's a very credible argument that. The reason we endorsed the boycott of our number one ally in the Middle East, which is Qatar, okay? the largest naval base in the Middle East, Qatar, largest air force in the Middle East for the Americans, Qatar. And we endorsed the boycott of Qatar by the Saudis and their, and their crowd. Why? Well, apparently Jared Qatar was telling the Qatar people that they needed to invest in 666. And they turned, and they down. Got, they yeah. turned them down. And within two weeks, they got slammed. So well, this and, is a and guy. Just to clarify, too, it's not just overseas pockets of money that are participating in this because it looks like Citibank made a giant loan to Kushner's family companies uh, shortly thereafter. And we know what Deutsche Bank's been doing all along. Absolutely. Glad to see the president of Deutsche Bank was replaced uh, today, yesterday. Anyway, the point of the oligarch comment was to say, I'm not talking about Trump as a politician. I'm talking about Trump as an oligarch. I'm not talking about Carl Icahn as a billionaire. I'm talking about Carl Icahn as an oligarch. If you scratch his skin, an oligarch in Russia looks the same as an oligarch in the United States. They're birds of a feather. They flock together. And they believe that they are entitled to steal whatever they can at the public trough if they can get away with it. That's the mentality of an oligarch. And Trump's unleashed that, and that costs you and me in this stratified society because we're the little people who pay. Another clarification, Ronaldo, on the on the price of oil that we were talking about, the the other thing, you know, the, the kind of main narrative right now is that the price of oil has spiked to a, a recent high since 2014 because of instability in the Middle East, the Syria rhetoric, you know, the president promising to fire missiles into Syria. But you're saying, you know, that's not your biggest concern. Uh, you want to clarify that? Sure. No. In fact, if you go back eight, nine months ago, I said we can frack oil in this country for $45 a barrel and make a profit. Now, I'm against fracking. But if you can frack oil for $45 a barrel and make a profit, you don't have to sell it for more than 45 to put all the rigs you can in place. I was with a representative of the oil industry just about two weeks ago. And I, and I confirmed that the data is still there. If you look at, for example, Baker Hughes, which is the company that leases or rents oil rigs to oil companies, um, they're having, you know, halcyon days. They, they're leasing rigs as fast as they can get them out in the field because with oil at $67 a barrel, that's $20 more profit than they need to be in business. They're happy to do it. Well, if we did not have a policy for the first time ever started this year, where we can sell at excess oil off in global markets, thereby co- our price then goes up to rise to meet the global market price. If we did not have that problem, oil in the United States today, whether we struck Syria or not, would be closer to $50, $55 a barrel 
than it would be to $67 a barrel. Now, will, will the Middle East go up in flames? It's in flames now. It's been in flames for years. The question is, will Saudi Arabia attack Iran? Not likely. Will Iran attack Saudi Arabia? No. Will Iran attack Kuwait? No. So the real oil fields aren't the problem. There's not a lot of oil in Yemen. It's a proxy war. What's a proxy war? A proxy war is where two people go to war and they use some intermediary country as the way to have that war so they don't have to attack each other. That's a proxy war. So there's a proxy war going on in Yemen, which is the Iranians against the Saudis, which is why the Saudis are so vicious. And it's on the Saudi Arabian southern border, so Saudi's very concerned. The Israelis are capable of bombing Iran, but I think if they did, they wouldn't go for oil fields, they'd go for nuclear installations. If you look at the Syrians, obviously the Syrians are a new proxy war. Uh, they're one that the Russians like because it has reinserted Russia as a bigger mover in the Middle East than the United States. They like that for geopolitical reasons. Um, Hezbollah and Iran likes it because they won. Assad's their guy. The Saudis hate it because, Saud isn't, because Assad isn't their guy. So another proxy war. But it's, it's not gonna, there's no oil fields in Syria. If you look at the one country that's got a lot of oil, Iraq, it's more stable today than it was two years ago. So I don't see the oil from the Middle East going away. It could the be, contrary. It could be a temporary disruption, you're thinking, if there's you know, supply supply line issues or something like that, but yeah, not it, it, long term. It, it would be used as a way to manipulate the price higher, just like the fear of war manipulates the price higher. I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. Think of these numbers. You can produce oil in America for $45 and make a profit. So you'll produce as much as you can at $45 a barrel. If you get paid $67 a barrel, you're the happiest guy in the world. But that extra 20 bucks, that came out of your pocket and mine, Matt. We paid that 20 bucks a barrel. And there's a lot of barrels that get pumped every day. So it's a lot of $20. And it's in everything we do. It's in the cost of our electricity. It's in the cost of the gasoline in our tanks. It's in the cost of our plastics. It's in the cost of every single aspect of our society. Now, that will change over time. And aggregate demand globally will go down over time, but not yet. And it's and clearly with the rising global population and demand for more and more uh, wealth distribution, it's not going to go down in the near future, but it is going to go down. And the oil companies know it very well. So the question then becomes, why do we let them charge us $67 when it's 100% in our control that we could be paying as little as 47 uh, Think about that question. Yeah. Okay, 100% in our control. Nothing to do with Syria, nothing to do with the Middle East. We can make it for 47 at a profit and sell it to ourselves all day at that price. But we don't. So, so Ronaldo, I want to go to the the question we started with, which is how people can protect themselves in these times. Uh, before I don't want to run out of time with that, so let's talk about that now. Uh, and and I'd, I'm, I'd like to hear your thoughts too, just so I can take, a, take steps to protect my small nest egg. Well, I'll give you the caveat. Unfortunately, it's reminiscent of the first line of A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And what that meant was, in one sense, the upheaval, which was the French Revolution, was the best of times in the sense that it broke a system that was inherently bankrupt, the monarchy, and it replaced it with a democratic form of government, which I would say is preferable to a monarchy. Donald Trump would probably disagree with me, by the way, because he thinks of himself as a banana republic monarch. 
I mean, look at the way he conducts himself. You know, he thinks he can treat the country, the country like his own private piggy bank, and and um, he can get people to stay in his hotels because if they don't keep him happy, he can turn on them. But so it's the best of times in that in that people are pushing back. So uh, the best of times in this comment would be the teachers on strike, the Parkland kids, um, the the uh, the fact that I think it's 36 Republican congressmen have chosen not to run now for re-election because they know it's, it's this blue wave, which is probably a blue tsunami, is coming after them. Um, the majority of people now in the United States know that they do want Obamacare, that they were being lied to about that. The majority of the people in the United States now know that tax reform was not for them reform. It was it was a tax penalty that hit. So the tax bill hurt them. So that makes it the best of times because people are becoming alive. I, I read a statistic the other day, Matt, that something like two million new people are going to go to the polls in 2018 because of Parkland, because of uh, Indivisible, uh, because of the Women's March uh, and uh, related pushbacks. So that makes it the best of times. People are getting activated. They're grabbing their own. They're, they're seizing the initiative to better control their own future. That makes it the best of times. It's the worst of times because there is chaos in the markets and there's no safe place to put your money for sure other than gold. I would say gold is very safe at this point. Uh, will go up over time because all these factors I'm, I'm, I'm enumerating will cause it to go up. I used to say it's smart to have 15 percent in gold. I now think that that's probably too low. It should be a lot higher than 15 percent. It's a good time to have money in cash. By the way, I'm not sure the cash I would want would be American dollars because this administration has been supervising. If you haven't noticed it, the value of the dollar has been going down. This administration likes that. Um, hold on a second. Um, and why is that? Because they're they're looking to stimulate domestic production. Yeah, it, it because um, what's happening with the um my computer just flashed a, a warning it was about to cut out on me <laughs> and that's attached to this phone call um the 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 way that our economy operates it's it's incredibly important that we recognize that in a time of chaos american dollars which used to be the reserve currency is probably not going to hold up as well as other currencies who are not shooting themselves in the foot so badly. So you could make that case for Canada, the Canadian dollar, except that the impact of the American economy as an export market for Canada is so huge that when, when you know, when the, the old joke, you know, when, when, when America sneezes, um, Canada gets cold. How, that's not true of Germany, however. Uh, Germany is a very, very strong economy. And I would say that if it was... If the Germans were able to run the European Union effectively, which they're not right now, then the euro would be a strong currency. Um, I believe that that's uh, an interesting question. I've, I've long believed that uh, in times of crisis, Swiss francs, which, which I've purchased many times, uh, are a better bet than American dollars. Um, I could name a couple others, but I guess my point is for the people listening to this show with very small resources – I wouldn't take the chance that you could know enough to know what currency to buy. Either I would buy a gold, gold in what's called a specie account, meaning one, one where the, 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 the entity you buy into actually holds gold, doesn't hold gold stocks, it holds gold, because owning a gold stock ties you to the stock market again. But uh, there are ETFs that actually own gold. Buy that and sit on it until the craziness is over. Keep listening to the show. When the market hits the bottom, I'll be the first person to tell you, and then go reinvest. 
you're going to save 20% of your nest egg if you do that. And you're going to be able to sleep every night because the volatility won't bother you. And I would say both of those are worth having. Other forms of investment that you can get into. It's a great time if you can spot a need that's recession-proof to build a small business. Um, I've been putting more of my money into a couple of the smaller businesses I own. And I trust that I'll be able to outperform uh, an investment in the marketplace. And I think that's proving to be true. Uh, but most people don't have the ability to invest in a small business. Uh, if they did, now, now would be a decent time to do it if they thought that business was somewhat recession-proof. Um, and you got to be careful because if you don't have enough resources to get through the recession or you're not recession-proof, you can get wiped out. So I'm not recommending that. Um, there are real estate investments that people can make that make sense. So if you are in the right real estate market, which is not overheated, and there are several right now in the country that are, um, making a real estate investment would not be a bad idea. I'm reminded of the people who've done very well, for example, buying in certain parts of Detroit and fixing up real estate. So using their, their intelligence and their sweat and buying it in areas which are coming back. And there are areas now of Detroit, which are gentrifying, meaning they're going back into more normal value structures. Um, that's something you could do. If you, uh, if you have the ability to own a small commercial property, in certain markets, if you had the ability to own a rental unit, um, and by the way, you don't have to be rich to own a rental unit. You could own a, you could own a, a, a um, what do you call it, a, a duplex, which is just two units. You live in the front and rent out the back or vice versa. Or you could live in a triplex, which is three units. Or maybe you could buy a small apartment. And, and where I live in Santa Barbara, California, owning an apartment building is really you know, almost a guaranteed thing because even in a recession, there aren't enough houses for people to live in. So, I mean, there, there are lots of things you can do. And the and, and, um, reason I'm not recommending a specific thing, other than everybody can buy gold, uh, is because it's really unique to you. It's unique to what options you have, what, what's in front of you, what, what, what can you do. For example, I'll, I'll give you a classic that people don't think of. If you have an old car that's using a lot of gas, and you can trade it in for a newer car that's going to be far more gas efficient, so that your operating cost per month drop by 100 bucks a month, that's a great investment. The capital you tied up in that car is a great investment because it's going to save you 100 bucks a month. Now, if you go out and buy a brand new car and you want to have a Porsche instead of a, a Chevrolet, it's a stupid investment. It's not an investment at all. It's a plaything. Okay, So you can invest, for example, in transportation to, to buy something. So let's say you go buy a used Volt, for example, which is not that expensive. Great car. You can plug it into electricity, which is far cheaper than gasoline. You'll save money every month on your operating costs. And you'll be able to keep um, that as your return on capital. So when your operating costs go down, if your costs to run your life go down every month, that's you invested wisely in your life. Now, some people talk about, and I want to touch on this briefly, the idea of paying off your mortgage. I don't recommend that. Why? We're going in a period of greater inflation higher interest rates. If your mortgage is a fixed rate mortgage, meaning 30 year fixed, leave it alone because you're going to be paying back with cheaper dollars than you borrowed. If your mortgage, however, is variable, meaning that it goes up as interest rates go up. And if it can vary within five years, because it's going to be that long, you have to see forward, pay that mortgage down. Could be the best investment you ever made. Why? Because you'll not only save the interest you're not going to pay on the money that you don't have in the mortgage today, you're going to be saving even more money when interest rates rise. 
So paying off your mortgage, if it's a variable rate mortgage, makes a lot of sense. If it's fixed rate, it doesn't. Is that, is that clear? Did I, did people understand that distinction, you think? I think so, yeah. I think people okay. know if they have a variable rate yeah. or, a, or a fixed rate after the last uh, mortgage issues that came about yeah. in 2018. I mean, sorry, yeah. 2008. Yeah. So so I always start with things that, you know, there's nothing like investing in the place where you live. So if you've got a variable rate mortgage, that's where I put my cash right now. Get that mortgage down. If you've got a fixed rate, don't do it because your mortgage isn't going up with inflation and you'll be paying it with cheaper dollars theoretically. So you look at other things like would you would it be a good time to trade that house with a 30 year fixed mortgage for a duplex, as an example, in the in the in the, in where in the place where you live? Um uh, if you are a small business owner and you have a butcher, you're a baker or a candlestick maker, it may be time for you to look at buying a building to put your butcher shop in or your baker's shop or whatever. Maybe it's time to be your own landlord, to use your capital for that. So there's every single person's different. I can say without without reservation, the recommendation I made last October, November to buy gold, that stands. If anything, buy more now, a higher percentage of your portfolio. That's something anybody and everybody can do and should do. On the other hand, owning dollars, if you sit on them, which is far safer than leaving them in the market and losing 20 to 30 percent, owning dollars is probably not a, uh, as bad as owning stocks. So go ahead. Keep it in cash. And by the way, what's going to happen is the interest rates go up. You'll start getting interest on your money once again from banks, from CDs and the like. Um, but we'll save that for another show because they're not high enough yet to be relevant. The, the, the rates are still too low to make it, it attractive. Okay. That sounds great, Ronaldo. And then just to clarify there, so for people with IRAs, 401ks, things like that, that are generally in in the stock market, they can switch that to money market funds or something like that that's yes, closer to cash, absolutely. right? Absolutely. You can get into money market funds, which are which is cash. You can get it into um, gold. You can buy gold as an ETF. Um, don't feel like you're locked into the market just because you have a, a, a retirement plan of some sort of 401k or, 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 or a Roth IRA or any kind of IRA, actually. Great. And, Ronaldo, with that, I think that I think we're ready to close the show. I just want to – Wait, I'll give you one more yeah. I just thought of. You yeah. know another one I thought of? Someone came to me who wanted to um, lend some money out to a third party. And they were able to lend the money out at a really nice return for them, five, well, I guess they're going to make about 7%. And they were sitting on the cash anyway, and 7% is a good return. And so they, what they said, they decided to do it. And I, the question I asked was, well, are you comfortable being a creditor? In other words, do you know how to protect yourself? Do you know how to make sure that this gets repaid? Do you know the source of the repayment? Are you really comfortable about this? And sometimes lending money to a friend or a relative is the worst thing you can do because then you don't get paid back. Yeah. And this individual who's sophisticated said, yeah, I said, well, then that's not a bad use of cash. Now, I don't recommend that for the people listening to the show, but I'm trying to explain everybody's different. So you look at the variety of possibilities in your life. Recognize that being in cash is better than being in the market. So that's, if that's the worst that happens, that you're better off. And cash, gold, and then look around where you can best use your resources to create a return for yourself or safety or both. Excellent. Well, thanks for the advice for myself, Ronaldo, and for our listeners. Also, uh, if people want to reach us, Ronaldo, the best place to write in is info at worldbusiness.org. And with that, uh, thank you very much for listening. And one thanks, more, Ronaldo. And one more thing, Matt. I know we're out of time. 
But if you read the Optimist Daily every day, and we'll send it to you for free, just ask for info at worldbusiness.org and we'll send you the Optimist Daily. It'll help to balance the negative news with the positive news you want every day to keep you from getting depressed and also to keep you more balanced in your thinking. I read as many good stories as bad ones every day, just so I can be balanced. And I urge you to do the same. I like it. Thanks very much, Ronaldo. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, everyone. See you next month.